Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. For the reading of the word. Great to have guests in the house. Good to see all of you on this crazy weather day. Today we're kicking off a three-part series that will take us through Father's Day. Three weeks from today, June the 20th. Get your grill ready. It's almost Father's Day. For the next three weeks, we're going to take a fresh look at the life of Noah. And that is fitting with the weather. The series is entitled, How to Prepare for the End Time. How to prepare for the end time. And it's a study from the life of Noah. Hebrews 11.7 is where we're going today. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. He prepared an ark. How to prepare for the end time. Let's say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, God, as only you can. And God, we give you praise for that. Anoint me to speak. Anoint us to hear in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm going to give you a history lesson for some of you children. But in 1988, a guy named Edgar C. Wisenant wrote a little book entitled 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Take Place in 1988. 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Is in 1988. Anybody remember that little booklet? You, you should because it was everywhere. Church people ate it up. Now as for me, it was during my rebellious years in Nashville, so it kind of lit me up. I was cynical, sarcastic, bitter, filled with rage, and, and that little book really got under my skin, especially when sincere but simple church people would come up to me and they would say, oh, Donovan, you need to read this. You need to come back to the Lord. Jesus is coming back in 1988. You got to get ready, and I'd bow up and blow up. And I'd say, I bet he don't come back, you flipping moron. You know, like, I would say something like that. I, I was a bad boy. I was a bad boy. Wisenant was a former NASA engineer turned Bible scholar. And he was so convinced that he had found the key to, to knowing when the rapture would happen that he made this statement. Only if the Bible is in error am I wrong. And he said this, if there were a king in this country, I would gamble with my life. I would stake my life on Jesus returning during Rosh Hashanah, 1988. And that was bold. And, uh, you know, right on cue, Christian television steps in. They were all over it, you know, ratings. 
And as the date approached, regular programming on TBN would be interrupted on a routine basis. And they would say, we interrupt this program to give you some tips on how to be prepared for the rapture. Uh, you know, like, you got to be kidding. And I'm not trying to still be cynical or sound that way. But my Bible tells me, no man knows the day or the hour. And that old boy had narrowed it down to a day. People went nuts. They borrowed money, maxed out credit cards. You know, you don't have to pay it back. I mean, Jesus is coming back. Cashed in life insurance policies. Who needs insurance? Quit paying their mortgages, their rent, their utilities, car notes. Quit their jobs. I'm talking about hardworking, God-fearing, decent people who just went crazy trying to prepare for the end time. And you know what happened, don't you? Bad Donovan was right. Jesus did not come in 1988. And those people, well, they look like, do you know what? Morons, right? Like I said. What do you think Wisenant did, the author? Did he come out and say, well, folks, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Did he, you know, stick to his guns and say, well, guess what? The Bible is in error, you know. No. He did what any good self-respecting author would do. He wrote more books. In 1989, he released Living on Borrowed Time. And four years later, he wrote another book. And then another one the next year. And as you can imagine, his books began to wane in sales. He continued to issue rapture warnings through 1997, but nobody was listening. But at the beginning, y'all, at the beginning, did he ever more sell some books? He did something brilliant, Kevin, at the very beginning. He sent out 300,000 copies of 88 Reasons to Preachers free of charge. Kind of got them on board. That was brilliant. Then he sold four and a half million copies. Can somebody say cha-ching? And so, you know, the church world endured that. It happens. And then, in the blink of an eye, just like that, it was Y2K. On the front of Time magazine, it was everywhere. Y2K this, Y2K that, Y2K took over everything. We lived in Maryland. We were told our cars, our, our old junky cars were going to quit working because of the computer chips in them. And we'd be stranded. We were told that Windows 98 would crash. Which Windows 98 did crash on a regular basis. I mean, that, that was not a shock. Can anybody say defrag, right? Defrag. <clears throat> but Y2K fizzled. And the only thing that crashed was, you guessed it, Windows 98. But prepping became an industry, y'all. Freeze-dried food is a thing. If you Google emergency food supply or survival food supply or freeze-dried food supply, you get hundreds of millions of results on Google. The, the, the MyPatriotSupply.com website says this, survival supplies and emergency preparedness gear, trusted self-reliance, and food independence. Ooh. Jim Baker, the guy behind the original PTL Club, he's back on TV, and he's selling, guess what? Freeze-dried food in preparation for the apocalypse. 
It's wild, man. I know some folks who have rooms filled with buckets of freeze-dried food. If you need MREs, Ron, I can tell you where to get them. And, and listen, don't get me wrong. You may have some of that stuff. You may be all into that. That's cool. You do you. <laughs> you do you. But my point is this. People have gone nuts in preparing for the end time. But in this series, I'm going to show you how to really prepare for the end time. And we're going to see how to do that from the greatest prepper of all time. His name was Noah. Noah was something else. Ezekiel 14, 14 says this of Noah, starting with verse 12. Listen, it says, The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when a land sins against my persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, and cut off man and beast from it. Verse 14, Even if these three men, first one, Noah, so let's just forget the other two. Even if Noah were in it, he would deliver only himself by the righteousness, by his righteousness, says God. In other words, if the Lord himself cut off the food supply and sent a debilitating famine, the Lord himself said Noah would survive. Noah would make it. Kind of reminds me of old Hank Jr., he could skin a buck. He could run a trot line, baby. Country boy can't survive. Three points about Noah. Are you with me? There's my intro. Seemed like it was kind of flat. I hope the sermon goes better. Three points about Noah. Number one, he continued when others quit. He started out life surrounded by fellow believers who were on the same page that he was. Spiritual mentors who had fostered a culture of faith, an environment of godliness. But time and circumstance have a way of eroding our values and our faith, chipping away at our commitments and through the years, more and more of his friends cut out. And they quit following the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they, they quit the Lord. They backed out. They may have gone to church. But if you'll study it out in Genesis 5 and Genesis 6 and on into Genesis 7 and 8 and the flood, you'll see that, that they may have gathered together around what had been a church at one time, but they didn't build altars. They had an altarless church that they attended. There was no blood in their message. They didn't have sacrifice in their message. They didn't call on the name of the Lord. Church changed. People walked away. And they walked away from their faith. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah continued when others quit. We know the backstory. We know the backstory. You look at Genesis 6. It's very controversial, those first few verses. But it's powerful. We know there was a conspiracy of evil 
fallen angels were involved in this. This was a demonic plan to steal people's faith. And things got so bad that by the time they lived a long time in those days. So by the time Noah hit his late 400s, you know, it was like the 40s in those days. He got into his 40s. He got into his 400s. He was the last man standing. Everybody else had quit. The preachers, the prophets, the politicians, the poets, his peers, his Papa Methuselah, his Papa uh, uh, Lamech. Everybody else quit, but Noah just continued. He continued showing up to church. He continued building an altar at church, coming to the front, seeking the name, calling on the name of the Lord, seeking the Lord. He was consistent when it came to his faith. He he just wouldn't stop. He just wouldn't stop. He was like this guy. I think I got a picture of this guy. You'll see what I'm saying. He just went on and on and on and on. And those other guys are like, I think I'm going to, I don't know if I am. And they would stop. But Noah just kept going on and on. When uh, I want to tell you how to prepare for the end time. Make up your mind. I'm never going to stop. Jesus never stopped. And I'm never going to stop. I'm always going to call on his name and bless his name. You got to make up your mind. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to continue. Noah lived in a world that was rotting from the inside out. The culture was wretched. It was, the, the, the world was going to hell in a handbasket. Genesis 6 says this. Every intent of the thoughts of every man's heart was only evil continually. One writer said this, a more emphatic statement of the wickedness of man is hardly conceivable. Every intent of the thoughts of every man's heart was only evil continually. And can I tell you that our Jesus said this in Matthew, as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. It's a parallel world. The conditions before the rapture of the church will be like the conditions of the world before the flood. Wisnut thought he had it right in 1988. He thought, man, the world's really bad. He had no idea, did he? I could, can I, I could go through a litany, a litany of things and show you. In 1988, man, it was like, it was like the age of innocence compared to right now. I remember that there were great revival movements in the 80s. And, and they were like, oh, the world is so bad. You have no idea that you should have lived into 2021. You think it was bad back then? No, 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 no. This, this is a different day. And I'm not trying to curse the darkness. I do want to light a light. But the idea is this. The population exploded. There was unprecedented demonic activity. Nobody resisted evil. They had given up on their fight. Nobody sought God. Sexual deviancy and perversion were the new normal. There, there was a worldwide epidemic of violence. 
That's in Noah's day and as it was in the days of Noah. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy. Can I read some word to you right now? 2 Timothy 3. Listen to these verses. But know this, that in the last days, perilous. That wording means violent, savage times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, no self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having church but denying the power, having a form of godliness but denying its power. He said, from such people turn away. They, they creep into households. They, they take captive people. People are always learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. He brings in the magicians from Moses' day in verse number 8. And, 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 and then in verse 9, he goes on. He says, their folly will be manifest to all. Verse 10, but you, Timothy, carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose of faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who de desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you've known the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus. That sounds like as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. And what's the clue? What's the cue for us? Continue. Don't quit. You just continue. I just got done with Pastors University last month, and Pastor Larry Stockstill from Bethany was was the, the, the teacher primarily, and he threw out some stats from the Barna Group, from Pew Research, Kerry Newhoff, and some others. And, and right now, 18% of church folks are taking this opportunity to change churches. They're just taking what happened in 2020 and the shakeup as a reset. I think I'm going to switch churches, change churches. That's happening all across the world right now. 25% of church folks are saying, I'm never going to go back to church ever again. Ever again. 25 25%. The number of people who attend church in the United States of America dropped below 50% for the first time this year. Some churches are happy to have 36% of their 2019 attendance in the house. 36%. That's how many people they have lost. The church where Pastors University was being held was a mega church. Seven campuses, 14,000 people. The pastor got up and looked at us in the eye and he said, we used to be a church of 14,000. We're coming to grips. We're a church of 6,000. Hey, that's significant. Thank God we, we're not in that boat, you know. I mean, I'd like to have 6,000, but we didn't drop below 50%. You know what I'm saying? We're doing good according to these stats. But here's the deal. The church is changing. 
And and I'm going to be honest with you. Church has changed. People don't want to pray. People want to get a feel-good message and a five steps to a happier marriage and how do I get more money in my bank account but they don't want an altar in their church where they lay their lives down and say not my will but yours be done God I surrender everything I have I give my all to you I'll go where you want me to go I'll go to an an access challenge country if that's what you want me to do I will put down the pleasures of this world that I enjoy to get the, the, the heaven's approval on my life Come on now. I'm talking about an altar in church. I work for the Episcopal church. And when you get in the Episcopal and the Catholic traditions, uh, the altar is is the area where communion takes place. It's it's where the sacrifice, and, and, and depending on the theology of, if you're in the Catholic church, transubstantiation, it is the sacrifice. And they're thinking that's where the blood, that's the blood and body of Christ. Others, it's not transubstantiation, it's the you know, memorial, whatever. But, but here's the deal. We got away from thinking uh, of, of laying our own lives down. I believe in, in, in celebrating the finished work of Christ. I believe in Holy Communion. But I want to tell you, an altar is also a place where you die to self. It's not my will, but yours be done. I'll dress the way you want me to dress. I'll talk the way you want me to talk. I'm not going to get drunk like I used to get drunk and, and smoke like I used to smoke. I'm going to do some things that you are asking of me in your word and by your spirit. What happened to altars in church? You know why people have left? Because they weren't tied to the altar. Paul said it. He said, I'm telling you, you need to present your body a living sacrifice. You you know what they did to sacrifices? They would tie them to the altar so it wouldn't run off or crawl off. And we have a tendency, I start laying some stuff down on the altar. I make this commitment to you, Lord. I'm giving you, listen, let me just tell you something. I'm all about winning new people, but new people have to be challenged to become disciples of Jesus. This is not a club. This is not some kind of show up and and, and get uh, your ears tickled type of place. This is where we're challenged by the word. Are you going to walk this walk? Are you going to talk this talk? I've got plans for you, but I need you to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Come on, give God some praise right now. I feel the anointing. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Altars where you're tied. You can't crawl away. My, uh, my prayer, I pray for these kids up here. My prayer is that God would put a mark on your spirit, a mark on your heart that you can't get away from. You can't escape. You want to. I, I Believe me. You're looking at a, an old boy who's tried to walk away. Oh, Noah. <laughs> Prepare for the end times, baby. I mean, like, here we are. It is raining cats and dogs. Well, there ain't nowhere else to go. I might as well preach for a while, huh? <laughs> I'm just telling I tried to walk away. I, I, I'm telling you, Valerie and I swore we would never go to a Pentecostal church, apostolic we did not like anything about it. I mean, from the doctrine to all the ways people dressed and stuff like that. We're like, you kidding me? No way. Probably said a few other words in there too. But 
No, what? not going there. Not going there. And then once the Lord, but he had, he had marked me. As a kid, he had marked me. And I tried to run, and I couldn't get away from it. And when I finally surrendered, I, there were still times I would try to crawl off that altar, Cynthia, but the Holy Ghost would convict me and say, No, son, this is where you belong. I planted you here. I've got plans for you. You're not like this world. You know too much. I've done too much in you. I've got stuff invested in you, boy. I'm going to pull it out. You need to yield that to me. You need to surrender that to me. Man, I, I, I'm telling you, you can think I'm crazy, and I don't know why I'm telling this part of it, but... Man, I would, I, my earrings went in, my earrings came out. My earrings went in, my earrings came out. I, I'm like, I surrender, I surrender. I, and the Lord's like, give me your earrings. And I'm like, no, no, you can't have my earrings. And then finally I'd be like, you can have my earrings. So I'd take my earrings. And then I'd be like, now I'm not cool. I need my earrings to be cool. I'm just telling you, I went through these challenges, you know. I'm just trying to, and people are like, well, theologically, you know, they're like trying to give me Bible studies and stuff. But I was listening to the Holy Spirit that was talking to my heart and challenging me. And I found there is peace in surrender. I mean, when you surrender to God, not to this world and not to your flesh, but when you surrender to God and lay it down and say, I ain't ever doing that again. And I'm not walking away from this decision. God blesses, sweeps in, and sends a, a strength into your life and a peace. Can anybody give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that? Church is changing. No altars, no blood, no name. People are falling away, walking away, backing down, backing up, backing out, turning their back on the Lord, on the church, and on the world. By, while others are quitting, I believe I'm looking at people who are continuing. John 8, 32, then Jesus said to those disciples who believed in Him, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. There is a freedom that belongs to those who continue and those who quit, there is a bondage. Mark my words. I'm talking about how to prepare for the end time. How do you prepare for the end time? Make up your mind. Oh my goodness. Make up your mind. No matter what happens, I'm not quitting. I'm going to show up to the house of God. I'm going to get my praise on. I'm going to that altar. I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to pray through again and again and again. I'm going to give my tithe, my offerings, even if it hurts. Ain't no devil in hell going to make me quit. I'm not quitting. I'm, I'm talking about how to make it to the other side. How to make it through to the other side. Stand with me right now. I've only gotten my number one point. Spent too much time on Wisnut and 88 Reasons. Let me give you my second point. Noah did more when others did less. Noah did more when others did less. Noah did what the Lord told him to do, even when others were quitting. And because he was faithful to do what he already knew to do, God gave him more to do. And surprise, surprise, he did it. He was a good altar builder. 
And then he started building an ark as well as altars. And eventually, in so doing, he changed the world. As a business owner, as an employer, you know, if you want to get something done, ask a busy person to do it. Don't ask a lazy, disgruntled, disagreeable, unloyal, arrogant, halfway, kind of know-it-all guy because he may or may not get it done. And if he does do it, it's going to be non-excellent, lousy, halfway kind of job, his way of doing it, not your way. You know, you, you don't ask somebody to get that job done like that. Noah was an excellent altar builder, and he became an excellent ark builder. If you'll learn how to build altars and call on the name of the Lord, that'll prepare you to be a church planter, a missionary, a soul winner. I mean, the man of God God's called you to be, the woman of God God's called you to be, more than any seminary or Bible school could ever prepare you. If you'll learn how to build altars and call on the name of the Lord, if you want the next in your life, you need to nail the now. Bloom where you're planted. Quit looking for greener grass somewhere else. Bloom where you're planted. Plug in where you're planted. Learn how to pray. Learn how to fast. Learn how to get a hold of God. The atrocities that were, were going on in, in, in Genesis 6, we read about them. The, the, all those things were happening while Noah was building altars all alone. A silhouette on the horizon. This 400-year-old guy, 500-year-old guy with a hammer and some rocks and an animal and wood and, and some flinty uh, stones to make a fire. He's out there building an altar. Only one out there. They're partying like rock stars. The old man is walking out by himself. And God said, I can use this man. I need you to build an ark, son. I know you're busy building altars, but I need you to build an ark. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He built that altar. He built that ark. Not even gotten where I wanted to go. but What's God calling you to do? Maybe you've neglected your first works, the things He called you to initially, and you're not going to get any further direction until you go back and say, okay, I recommit. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And God, I need, I need further instruction. Amen. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.